pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Diabetes is the most common cause of neuropathy or nerve pain worldwide. In fact, studies report that 50% of people with diabetes experience painful symptoms. The discomfort felt at the onset of this disease can be so subtle or diverse that it's often ignored by patients or even misdiagnosed by doctors. Our special guest is Jerry Mathers, television, film, and stage actor. He's best known for his role in the sitcom series Leave It to Beaver, and he's here to share the challenges and triumphs of having diabetes. Dr. Alan Berger of the University of Florida then shares his expertise on the type of pain that diabetics often experience and the most effective ways to manage these unpleasant sensations. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Pentech Health, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Jerry Mathers is best known for his role as the Beaver in the series Leave it to Beaver from the late 1950s and early 1960s. He's a television, film, and stage actor, and he's here to share the challenges and triumphs of having diabetes and pain. Jerry, welcome to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You've had a very successful career in both television and film. Would you update us on what you're doing today? Well, basically, I still work as an actor. I do a lot of stage work. Um, I'm also a speaker. I speak on um, diabetes um, and television and where it's going in the future. So I, uh, I keep very, very busy. I do a lot of traveling. Jerry, how has TV changed since you were on Leave it to Beaver? Um, when I came on, there were all sorts of codes and things that you couldn't do. In fact, the very first episode of Leave it to Beaver was actually banned. And you say, well, you know, it's a family show. How could it be banned? First show, the boys send away for an alligator, and we wanted to keep it in um, the top of a toilet tank. And bathrooms were not allowed to be shown on television. Uh, you And now you even see people, you know, basically on a toilet. And it's going to get um, a lot different because very, very quickly, everything will go to the Internet where there basically are no rules. Take us back to the 1990s. At that point, you completed the TV sequel, the new Leave it to Beaver. And then it sounds like you branched into other business ventures. Let's talk about that. I started to acquire businesses. And one of the businesses I acquired was a catering business. And I started to eat a lot. And I suddenly had a lot of extra weight that, you know, I had never had in my life before. Uh, I was at one time about 250, and I'm 5'8". So I was very, very overweight. But I looked around me, and there were a lot of people that were just as overweight as me, and we all seemed to be fine. 
And uh, I had a very good friend who's a doctor. She's also a, a personal friend of my family and especially me. And she kept looking at me and kept telling me, you know, you better do something about that weight. And I said I felt fine. And she kept telling me to come in for a physical. And I said, you know, I come to you when I'm sick and you cure me. And right now I'm not sick. But she knows me pretty well. And so what she told me was, you know what, for Christmas, I'm going to give you a free physical. And how could I turn that down? It was free. And so I went in, took the physical, came back three days later because she said she wanted to talk to me. And she said, how would you like to see your kids graduate from high school, get married, have children? I said, of course, I want to do all that. And she said, well, if you don't lose the weight, you'll be dead in three to five years. Wow, what frightening news. Jerry, did you have any neuropathic pain or or nerve pain at the time? Yes, I did. I had, you know, pains in my feet, um, and they were very sharp pains. They felt like pins. But uh, I also had one in my shoulder where at times, you know, it would be like a cramp, a very, very bad cramp. It was really a pain. I thought the pains in my feet might be because I was carrying a lot more weight. When they came, I, as I say, just ignored them. They hurt, but I didn't realize that there was anything I could do about them. Um, You know, there's a thing where men are not supposed to feel pain. You just kind of bear through it. That's what I was doing. I said, ah, this is nothing. I can can still walk, so I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, indeed. I feel like the men that I see in my own practice have ignored the pain and have waited a longer period of time than women to seek help. Jerry, how intense did the pain get? Uh, It got so bad that at one time I was going to the airport. I could drive my car. My shoulder hurt. But when I got to the airport and went to park to pull out the ticket, I couldn't raise my hand high enough to go through the window. I had to actually stop the car. The cars were lining up behind me, get out and take it with my other hand. By the time I got on the plane or about halfway there, it it was gone. Were you then surprised that you actually had diabetes? As I say, I was surprised to learn I had three to five years to live. I see. I mean, my my blood sugars were, you know, like in the 300s. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty high. Uh, Jerry, what changes did you make after you were diagnosed with diabetes? I went to Jenny Craig. And what I realized after I started at Jenny Craig, I was eating huge portions. So when I had a portion size that was correct for what I should be eating, and I realized that I had been eating way, way, way too much and and not even realizing it. I think a lot of people lose sight of actually how much they're eating. When we come back, we'll talk to Jerry about when the pain in his feet and shoulder began to subside. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Jerry, how long was it before the pain in your feet and your shoulder began to subside? It was probably six months to a year, but it took me that long to bring my weight back down to where it should be. So you went from 250 pounds to 165? Yes. And I was also... I. Uh, I walk for an hour a day, five days a week. I take the weekends off, and I also cut my portion sizes. And it took me about six to eight months to even come down to in the uh, the 180s, and then I since then brought it down a little bit more. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Jerry, did you notice a difference in the frequency or the intensity of your pain as you lost weight? The intervals between them became a lot farther apart. Um, when I was in the 240s, it was maybe... 
three or four, maybe 10 times a week, where all of a sudden, for absolutely what I thought was no reason, I would get this sharp pain. But it, but it didn't stay that long. I mean, I'd have it sometimes for only 10 or 15 minutes, maybe for an hour, and it, it would somehow go away. So, you know, and sometimes it was more than that. Sometimes it was two and three hours, but I could still walk. It just hurt. So by a year, Jerry, would you say that all of your pain was virtually gone? It's gone and I, it has never come back. Congratulations. That's wonderful. You know, when she explained to me that it was all probably weight related, I just made up my mind to take the weight off, you know, went out, started dieting uh, and, and dieting in a good way. I mean, I just didn't suddenly start to starve myself because you can't do that. So I did eat, but I ate a proper portion size. As I say, it took me about a year to lose the weight because if you lose it too fast, it just comes right back. You're right. Jerry, talk to us about your advocacy work for the American Academy of Neurology. Well, I go out and talk about um, diabetes uh, in, in general and tell people about what happened to me because I probably, I don't know if I ever would have gone into a doctor to tell them about these pains in my feet, even though they were bad. I just thought they were something that, you know, the weight was causing, but I didn't realize the long-term consequences of not dealing with it. And haven't you recently been involved in patient education on behalf of the Academy on diabetes and diabetes pain? I did a, a video which they distributed to all the free clinics across the uh, uh, United States. And so I talked about diabetes and food preparation and proper control of my diet and weight and uh, also about the pains that I had when I um, had the diabetes. That really sounds worthwhile. Jerry, what words of encouragement do you have for those who may be, well, frankly, disheartened from having diabetes and diabetes pain? Life is good, and the longer that you live, I feel it's, it's even better because I, uh, my kids, I have a daughter that's about to get married. Uh, I expect grandchildren. I have a wonderful social life. I have a wonderful wife. And if I hadn't controlled it, all those things would be lost to me because I wouldn't be here anymore. So if someone diagnoses you and tells you there are things you do, do them in steps. It will not happen overnight. It's a long process. It took you a while to put on the weight, even if you did it in your teens or whatever. It will take you, it took me over a year to lose the weight. But once you do it, then it, uh, your life will be much better. Since about half of patients with diabetes will develop neuropathic pain or nerve pain, are you afraid that it may happen again to you? You know, it's possible, but I will do everything I can to prevent it. Um, So far, I have been very lucky, and it hasn't. But if it does, then I will deal with whatever I have to deal with at that time. Absolutely. There are medicines that can really effectively reduce the pain of diabetes. And what did you gain from this transformative experience, Jerry? Uh, I think the message should be that people that are overweight, even if you think and look around you that everyone is overweight, if you feel pain, if you have um, things that are going wrong in your body that you really don't understand, you should go in and see your doctor. Um, Portion control is very, very important when you eat. If When you start gaining weight, if you think there aren't consequences, if you put on weight and you're over. Um, you know, certain parameters, you will have consequences and nobody can beat it. They may take longer to come for some people than others, but being massively overweight has definite consequences. Jerry Mathers, I'd like to thank you very much for being with us today on Aches and Games. Thank you very much, Doctor. 
Up next is Dr. Alan Berger from the University of Florida, who will share his expertise on the type of pain that diabetics often experience and the most effective ways to manage these unpleasant sensations. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Pentech Health, one of the nation's largest pharmacy and nursing companies dedicated solely to providing in-home care for patients with implanted pumps used for the treatment of severe pain or spasticity. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Alan Berger, professor and chairman of the Department of Neurology at the University of Florida School of Medicine. He's also the director of the Peripheral Neuropathy Center. Dr. Berger has supervised the development of several research, educational, and support programs for many neuropathies, including diabetic neuropathy. Dr. Berger, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Let's start with defining diabetic peripheral neuropathy, or, or specifically peripheral neuropathy. What does that mean? Peripheral neuropathy is a condition in which the nerves outside of the spinal cord are not working, and, and so it, it implies symptoms such as numbness, tingling, burning, stabbing, lancinating pain, stone bruises, uh, cramping. All these are manifestations of where the peripheral nerves are not working. And talk to us about how broadly diabetes affects the nervous system. Diabetes has a number of different effects on nerves. One, one condition is a generalized symmetric dysfunction of the nerves called a polyneuropathy or a diabetic symmetric neuropathy. But diabetes can also affect individual nerves or those bundles of nerves in the pelvis or the armpit area, the plexus, or individual nerves such as the one of the nerves to the eyes. And Alan, explain to our listeners how diabetic neuropathy typically progresses. The nerves uh, initially in the legs begin to show uh, evidence of not working. And the usual symptoms are going to be something like a numbness or tingling or burning. Um, as that progresses, those symptoms will ex- extend up the leg as if you were wearing a stocking. And at some point when the symptoms reach the mid-calf, you might notice some tingling or numbness in your fingertips. If it's very severe, there may be uh, some accompanying weakness. You would notice it initially, an inability to um, extend your toes, and if it's more severe, the inability to extend your foot at the ankle, and there may be some accompanying balance difficulties. Um, in addition, there can be what's called autonomic symptoms. The autonomic nervous system, which controls um, heart function, bowel function, genital urinary function, sweating, etc., can also be affected. So there can be accompanying symptoms involving those organs. You know, diabetic peripheral neuropathy is the most common cause of neuropathy across the world. Why is that? Because diabetes is so very common in the world and increasing in frequency. And it's estimated there might be 220 million people in the world with diabetes. In the U.S., there might be almost 21 million people with diabetes. And since about half or more of patients who have diabetes for any length of time are going to develop symptoms of diabetic neuropathy, it's estimated there might be as many as 11 million people in the U.S. with diabetic neuropathy. It's scary to realize that 50% of people with diabetes suffer from pain, and even more frightening that it's more common for people to have diabetic neuropathy and not know it because they don't have any symptoms. Um, The number of people who have subclinical evidence of nerve problems uh, is probably way greater than those that have clinical signs. And by subclinical, we mean those patients who demonstrate no signs and have no symptoms of nerve pain or, or neuropathy. 
And Dr. Berger, what do we know about how to prevent the progression of diabetic neuropathy? Right now, um, controlling the glucose and controlling weight and, and triglycerides and hypertension are all that's really known to help stop the development of neuropathy. So knowing that someone has neuropathy means that they really have to be extremely attentive to um, those parameters that I just mentioned. Exactly. And Dr. Berger, given your experience treating diabetic neuropathy, what are typical symptoms that patients experience? Burning or tingling, uh, feeling like pins and needles, bees swarming over your feet, uh, a, a excruciating pain when the feet are lightly stroked. For example, if you're sleeping at night in the bed sheet to cover your feet, that may be intolerable. Uh, muscle cramps um, also as a positive symptom. And, and some are also going to have what's called restless leg syndrome, where they can't keep their legs still. That's an accompaniment of neuropathy also. Many would be surprised to know that carpal tunnel syndrome can actually be a symptom of diabetes. So yes, and in fact, it's very important that if a diabetic develops symptoms in their hands, that they get a good evaluation and don't, don't immediately assume that the numbness in the hands is due to a generalized neuropathy as compared to a focal neuropathy such as carpal tunnel syndrome, which has an entirely different treatment. Uh, I mean, one of the big, great morbidities of having diabetic neuropathy is falling and hurting, and hurting yourself, especially if your eyes are closed and you're not able to use visual cues to compensate for the loss of sensation. So it's one of the things that we can actually help the most by noting that they're having this difficulty and giving them proper ambulatory aids so that they're more stable and not, and not suffering a debilitating fall. That's right. You know, although there's no cure for diabetic neuropathy, when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Berger about which treatments are the most helpful. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. And we're back. Alan, which category of medicines, like the antidepressants, so for example, something like nortriptyline or uh, duloxetine, or another category like the anti-epileptic drugs, something like gabapentin or neurontin, do you find the most effective and would consider first-line therapy for diabetic neuropathy? I think it's a matter of of choice between the antidepressants and uh, medications such as gabapentin. Gabapentin is very good for that very superficial burning type of pain and also the lancinating pain. The tricyclic antidepressants, also a a drug like Cymbalta, are very good also in relieving deeper pain. I'll use either nortriptyline, otherwise known as Pamelar, or Cymbalta. People have to realize that the antidepressants may take two to three weeks at the proper dose to become effective. Great point. And tell us about your experience with topical pain relievers, things like local anesthetics, anti-inflammatories, clonidine, I mean, combinations of these products. There's two main types. One is the capsaicin drugs, which are the pepper sprays. They're very oily, they burn on, on application, and for the most part, people have not found them to be really great. The others are these kind of made up individually by different pharmacies that have some combination of um, amitriptyline, ketamine, uh, clonidine, lidocaine, gabapentin. I was at a support group just this last Saturday when someone came in with a, a bottle of this. There's no science that says that these things are given, to, given topically are more effective than given orally, and I, and I can't say. So if it works for you and you're not having side effects, great. 
if you're having side effects or if it's expensive, you know, be very careful because there's, there is a placebo effect. The real question is, is it working for you continually before you decide to continue putting money out to it? Let's turn our attention now to opioids. It's a controversial topic, but there's mounting scientific evidence that they're useful for neuropathic pain. What are your thoughts? The problem is, when you're sitting there faced with a patient who has incapacitating neuropathic pain, and you have failed on all the frontline medication, and in those patients, you know, often the only avenue of, of uh, relief is something like a, uh, you know, a fentanyl patch or the use of methadone or, or, or something like that. I have a hard time saying, you know, I have nothing left for you. Just go suffer. I experienced the same thing, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And how about spinal cord stimulation? 50% of people may respond. Some of them quite dramatic. Others in which it lasted for a while and then went away. I think in patients who have refractory pain, it is one of the things that should be considered. And how about implantable pain pumps that deliver medicines directly to the spinal cord? I think that's another alternative that's, that's, that's possible. Um, in patients who have shown some responsiveness to opioids but are running into problems with dosage, doing the thecal route can reduce the, the systemic side effects. And finally, what message of hope do you give the members of your support group who are in pain? Numbness is not going to get better by gabapentin or any of those medications we mentioned. None of the neuropathic pain meds are likely going to take away all of your pain. You need to be able to talk to your physician and say, I need therapies. If you're not able to provide it, I need to go to somebody, for example, a pain specialist who has the expertise to give me the, the, the range of uh, potential therapies that might offer me relief. Great advice. Thank you very much, Dr. Berger, for joining us today on Aches and Gains. That's my pleasure. Next week, we'll talk to Dr. Edith Hughes. She's an advanced chiropractor, kinesiologist, and is regarded as a gifted healer. She's developed a remarkable exercise system called Revolution in Motion. A current client of Dr. Hughes, filmmaker Sandy McLeod, will share her personal discoveries during her journey to wellness. Join us to hear about this quick and gentle approach to mastering freedom from pain. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Here's a question from Mandela in Sunnyvale, California. Can you discuss wrist pain associated with pregnancy and new moms? Uh, Mandela, indeed, the wrist pain could be due to carpal tunnel syndrome. It can occur in pregnancy or from thyroid disorders, rheumatoid arthritis, and even diabetes. Fortunately, the symptoms usually get better after delivery of the baby. Pregnancy can cause swelling of the lining of the tendon, which puts pressure on the median nerve, leading to pain, pins and needles sensations, or numbness on the surface of the hand, typically in the thumb, index finger, middle finger, but it can also radiate into the forearm or even upper arm. A lot of people will wake up in the morning with hand pain and try to shake or flick the hand to reduce the discomfort. If the pain doesn't get better after a month or two, have the symptoms evaluated. Steroid injections around the median nerve reduce the symptoms, and surgery typically resolves the problem. And here we have a question from Geraldine in Waldorf, Maryland. I have degenerative disc disease, three bad discs in my back, have had cortisone shots, physical therapy, and can't afford to have the surgery nor take time off work that long. What other options are there? Geraldine, although spine surgery can be useful and needed in certain spinal conditions, be careful about spine surgery for low back pain alone. If you have pain that shoots from your back down your leg, then the evidence for spinal surgery is stronger for relief of those shooting symptoms than it is for treating low back pain alone. Useful strategies for low back pain include exercise, cognitive behavioral therapy, and certain medicines. 
these medicines are the tricyclic antidepressants like nortriptyline or even a medicine called duloxetine or Cymbalta. Cymbalta is approved for musculoskeletal pain now. Acupuncture has shown some benefit for low back pain as well. A newer, less invasive therapy called bioaculoplasty treats discogenic pain from degenerative disc disease and uses radiofrequency energy. It may help you, but may not be covered by insurance. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of WBAL Radio, Hearst, and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to WBAL.com or PaulChristoMD.com. That's PaulChristoMD.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to PaulChristoMD.com. That's PaulChristoMD.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. From WBAL Radio, 1090 AM, you've been listening to Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.